Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. number 11 this evening the Bible says wherefore remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands that at that time you were without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in the ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man so making peace that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you which were afar off, and to them that were nigh. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints of the household of God are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are built together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. Let us pray tonight. Lord, I come to you this evening. I'm asking, O God, for your help. Lord, as we share, Lord, of your word, God, in this study, Lord, of the book of Ephesians. I pray, O Lord, anoint our minds. God, grant us understanding tonight. God, let it be more than just words spoken, but let it be something that we can guide, Lord, our lives by. I pray, O oh Lord, help your people today, Lord, that you would strengthen them. God, help them, Lord, in their understanding. God, although they may be here tired in body and in the hustle and the bustle of uh, this season, I pray, God, we pause right now to turn our attention towards your word. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray, amen and amen. Everyone say amen. Amen. You may be. Uh, seated this evening second half the second half of the book or the chapter the second chapter of the book of Ephesians uh, is really nothing more but a mirror of the first half of the book of Ephesians in that last week we talked about uh, you were but God and uh, he seemed to outline for us that what we were we were dead in our trespasses and sins but all of us somewhere along the line had that but God moment where things changed and turned on a hinge and then we were then you are then his workmanship as a result of that but God moment in your life and so the second half of the second chapter of Ephesians is similar to the first again we look backward only to have a moment in our life then that we would look forward Paul tells him in verse number 11 that he asked them to remember. He says, remember in times past. So here we are again looking back what, what we were. And yet in verse 13, paralleling the but God moment, he says, but now, in verse number 13, but now. And he followed up in the closing of the chapter, uh, who we are now. And uh, some of the things that we are at the end, and I didn't have time to write, we're fellow citizens. We are part of the household of God, part of the family of God. We are part of a building where God can inhabit it, inhabit that part of a holy temple. So there are two, there are two groups that Paul is speaking to whenever he's speaking to the church at, at Ephesus. Um, it's not just Gentiles that Paul is speaking to, but it is the Jew and the Gentile. So the two, the two groups of people are the Jew and the Gentile that Paul is speaking to uh, at, at the church at Ephesus it's those two groups that he is addressing and with that being our understanding we understand that Paul now in the second chapter in the second half of this chapter focus a little bit more intently on the Gentile people and uh, he also talks somewhat about the Jewish people but he talks about each of their position 
in, 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 uh, in respect to God or in respect to the presence of God. And uh, whenever he begins to talk about that, he understands that uh, in the end, in essence, that both the Jew and the Gentile, no matter where they are positionally in concerning God, that none of them, Jew or Gentile, had access to God. None of them had access to God. It didn't matter who they were. None of them had access to God uh, without the blood of Jesus Christ. Nobody, even us, have access to God without the blood of Jesus Christ. And what's interesting tonight is this. You know, we talk about uh, the nation of Israel turning to idolatry. We talked about nations who are heathenistic and have uh, many gods compared to one God. And uh, I just want to correct something, perhaps, if there is any flawed thinking. Uh, the history of the church, all the way back even in the beginning, the history of the church did not consist of society and man having several gods and then all of a sudden discovering the one true God. That's not how the history of man goes. The history of man went in under this fashion that he had the one true living God from the very beginning. And over a period of time, he diluted. He didn't evolve, he devolved. <laughs> he devolved from that to a belief of many gods. So from the beginning, it was one true God. Nothing more, nothing less. That which was presented to the first family was one God, not several gods, and then they discovered the one true God. No, we have the one true God from the very beginning, and people dissolved into this belief of several gods. And whenever we look at the first, about the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis uh, is the story of that decline, the story of the decline of what would we would call the Gentiles, the story of that decline. All were Gentiles, so to speak. It wasn't until God called a nation from the loins of Abraham that there was then a called out chosen Jewish people, amen, that we read of in Scripture. And in those first 11 chapters of Genesis, and amazingly enough, this is just, just kind of fodder for the side, but the first 11 chapters of Genesis cover about 2,000 years. The remaining 38 chapters cover about 400 so whenever you're in Genesis 1 through 11 and you just zip right through there, you just zip through 2,000 years worth of stuff that a lot of everything else in Scripture finds its place of origin right there in those first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis. So next time you read through Genesis 1 through 11, just take some time because you're walking through 2,000 years of history. Uh, so you might want to consider that. And it's in, though, in chapter 12 that God calls Abraham out to be the father of a Jewish nation. The scripture tells us in Ephesians, whenever it's speaking of the Gentiles, who were Gentiles in their flesh, it speaks of them, and I'm just going to abbreviate because I don't want to write it all out. It speaks of them as being the uncircumcised, thus the you, all right? And the Jews being the circumcised. Now, this goes back to uh, Old Testament time because in the Old Testament times, uh, people had different and various ways of uh, indicating their identity of who they were, what tribe they belonged with, what family they were a part of. And one of the ways, some of the ways in which they did it, sometimes they would put markings on their skin or so on and so forth to indicate they're a part of this tribe or that tribe. But for God's people, for his covenant people, that sign was the sign of circumcision. That's what set them apart from all the other people. That's what separated the Jew from the Gentile, the mark of circumcision upon their body. Uh, Abraham, whenever he and his family was called, Abraham was supposed to circumcise Isaac the eighth day, and he did so, and Abraham was circumcised at the same time. Scripture tells us, because God says that's the sign that I have ordained for my people, that they are indeed my people. We see the sign uh, throughout the history of the church, even in the time of Moses, who was a goodly child, the Bible says. His mother held him for three months. She didn't kill him or have anybody kill him. And she put him in that little, that little basket of bulrushes and put him there in the Nile River only for Pharaoh's daughter to discover him. And she, Pharaoh's daughter, exclaimed, this is one of the Hebrews' children. And the only way that she would have really knew that was the mark of circumcision that was upon Moses. She seen the mark of circumcision. So there's a lot of contrast all the way back then up to now that starts to take place between the Jew and between the Gentile. Uh, Gentiles were absolutely different from the Jews. They were different in their religion. Uh, they were different in their dress. They were different in their diet. They were different in the laws that they kept or did not keep. Uh, the Gentiles were considered by the Jew just to be an old gnarly dog. 
You know, no offense to the dog lovers, but they were considered just to be an old, gnarly dog. Just to understand the stark difference and even some of the variance that's between the Jew and the Gentile that day, uh, many Pharisees, even in New Testament times, history says, would pray daily this, Oh God, I give thanks that I am a Jew and not a Gentile. Wouldn't you like to somehow just sit down and begin, Oh God, I'm just thankful I'm not so-and-so that I'm Rhonda McGee. You know, to some of the variants and the odds that they were against each other, it, it wasn't lawful. It wasn't even lawful for uh, a Jew to help a Gentile mother during the process of her giving delivery or giving birth to a child. Even in that source, maybe a very detrimental time, a, a Jew wasn't allowed to help a Gentile mother because they said if you did so, uh, that act alone of delivery was nothing more but bringing another Gentile into the world. The idea between the two was this. If a Jewish boy or girl married a Gentile boy or girl, the moment that would happen, that Jewish family would have the funeral of that Jewish child because to them, that person was no longer alive to them. They were dead because they had intermingled with the Gentile. But the Bible tells us in Galatians 5 and 6, Sister McGee, first night, for in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision availeth anything or uncircumcision but faith which worketh by love faith which worketh by love not the circumcision of a natural man of a natural flesh that doesn't matter anything or uncircumcision but faith which worketh by love if you'll go with me to Colossians chapter number 2 and verse number 10 I'd like to have a few verses of scripture to read to you this evening the Bible states this and remember there's a close connection between Ephesians and Colossians and he says, and ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power, in whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. As there was in the Old Testament a circumcision made with hands, in the New Testament there is a circumcision made without hands. He says, and he describes what it is, in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation God, who hath raised him from the dead. And look now, and you being dead in your sins, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Look, blotting out the handwriting of the ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross so the idea for the Jew and Gentile their day is that unless a person was literally circumcised unless they were literally circumcised the Jews said man you can't know God you can't walk with God unless you're literally circumcised and there was a big discussion about that in the New Testament about whether or not that was valid but the New Testament speaks to us that there is a circumcision that takes place without hands now here's the interesting thing Old Testament circumcision a literal physical act that bore an external or a literal outward sign. All right? Old Testament circumcision. External act, external, outward, if you will, sign. But the spiritual circumcision that is made without hands that the Scripture describes to you and I whenever it speaks about uh, the Lord taking it out of the way and whenever it describes the forgiveness of sins and whenever it describes uh, being buried with Him in baptism in the book of Colossians. The spiritual circumcision that's made without hands happens through our repenting and our physically being baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. However, there is still an outward sign. There is still an outward sign that accompanies even the physical, literal, physical act Amen, of baptizing somebody in Jesus' name, there is an outward sign. The Bible told us that we should receive the gift of the Holy Ghost in the book of Acts and speak in other tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance. When you've repented and when you've been baptized, that's New Testament circumcision. Amen, a circumcision made without hands, whenever that happens, the Old Testament said, well, there was an external sign. There was. But in the New Testament, there's still an external sign because if you've done those two things, it says ye shall receive 
the gift of the Holy Ghost. And you will not receive the Holy Ghost without the Spirit giving you utterance to speak in other tongues. There is your external or outward sign in the New Testament. Look what repentance and baptism did. If you look at those Colossian scriptures that we read, they put off the body of sins. They put off the body of sins. They took it out of the way. Amen. A circumcision without hands, yet all that still took place. Now, he was focusing on the Gentiles here in the second, the second half of the second chapter of Ephesians. Focusing on the Gentiles. And whenever he began to talk about the Gentiles, they're not the Jews. They were not God's chosen people. They were not in the lineage of Abraham. Uh, but they're just Gentiles. He says, you were, if you remember in times past Gentiles who you were, here is the laundry list of what the Gentiles were. This is very depressing. He says, you were, or remember in times past, Gentiles, you're without Christ. Gentiles, you're without citizenship in so many words. You're without promise. You're without hope. You were without God. I'm already depressed just from number one, being without Christ. I'm depressed. You don't even have to add anything else to that. But they were without Christ, without citizenship, without promise, without hope, without God. They were without Christ. Again, remember Christ was an office, not so much so a name. Christ meaning the anointed one. As a matter of fact, the word Christ in the New Testament scripture is just... Uh, 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 alteration if you will of the Old Testament word Messiah so whenever he was speaking to the Gentiles that they were without Christ they were without a Messiah see the Jews are standing and have stood for years in anticipation of a coming Messiah that's going to cure their problems it's going to take care of all the evil and set the rule and the reign back up the way it needs to be and as a result of that that gave them hope because they're looking forward to something but the Gentiles don't have anything to look forward to. They didn't. Let me say it like that. They didn't have anything to look forward to. They didn't have a so-called Messiah. So since the Jews had the hope of a Messiah, to them, there was nothing but an endless hope. They knew it was going to come. They knew Messiah was going to come. They were looking. Their prophets have prophesied about it. They're just waiting for the Messiah to come. But to the Gentiles, on, another, on the other hand, they didn't have such a promise. So they just had a hopeless end. Uh, it, it, you just live life and there was no hope in the end. Now, whenever we consider the Gentiles being in times past without citizenship, again, they were not of the seed of Abraham. And if you were not a part of Abraham's seed, you were not of the nation of Israel. You were not God's chosen. You were not God's set apart. And so with that, you didn't have no citizenship when it came to Israel. But thirdly, they were without promise. How many times have we seen in Scripture that the Lord made a covenant with Abraham? Or the Lord made a covenant with Isaac? Or the Lord made a covenant with Jacob? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all those people are covenant people of promise. Those are Jews. Those are God's called out people. And any time, many times you see the covenants made in the Old Testament, all these promises, how he'll bless whoever blesses them and curse whoever curses them. That's for the Jews. And so whenever the Gentiles are not, absolutely not the Jews and not a part of God's called out, they're without a promise. All those covets, all that bounty, all those fringe benefits that God is endowing upon his people, they don't get an iota of. They are without promise in times gone by. So I think we can already understand where this comes from. Because already, if I'm without Christ, without citizenship, without promise, I'm starting to get a little hopeless. <laughs> they were without hope. Without hope. You know how much hope they were without? I've seen this today in reading some history. They say archaeologists have dug up some first century cemeteries from the area of Greece and Rome. And they have found engraved even on tombs of people who were Greeks these words in Latin, no hope. Whew. Could you imagine your final resting place, the epitaph, if you will, of your final resting place being no hope? That's how they felt, though, because they did not have Christ. They didn't have citizenship. They didn't have 
promise. And therefore, they were leaving life with no hope. They had, per se, God's, little g, they had God's. There's something that the apostle says concerning that. In 1 Corinthians 8, verse number 5. 1 Corinthians 8 and 5, Sister McGee. The Bible says, for though there be that are called gods. A little weird wording. For though there be that are called gods. In other words, though there are wood, stone, whatever you want to call it. Although there exist things that people call. All right. That people call gods. Whether in heaven and earth, there be gods many, there be lords many. There's a lot of so-called gods. A lot of so-called lords. He says, but to us, there is but one God. The Father of whom are all things, and we in him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by him. In other words, he says, these other things, people may call them gods. For the Ephesians, such as Diana, you may call her a god or a goddess. Amen. But they are just simply that. They're just something that you have called a God. But not indeed God because there is one God. Amen. And to serve something else, listen plainly, to serve something else that is just called a God is to be totally without God. How were they without God? They had the great temple Diana. She was great goddess. Those things are just called gods you know call my car a banana but it's still a car you understand what i'm saying call whatever you want a god but there's only one god that's the truth that's the fact of the matter and to go chasing or trying to bow down to anything else that you just call a god because you want to call it that is to leave you without god and to be left without god leaves you without hope and to be left without god is without the promise without citizenship and without christ when you're without God. Amen. And this is bizarre, folks, whenever you begin to think. God called Abraham. Here is the purpose. Here is the reason. God called Abraham and his family, his descendants, out of an adulterous family. All right. Abraham's daddy was an adultery. Abraham came from an adulterous family. And he called them out to rear a nation to be devoted to God, given to God. And the reason for this, he wanted to use that nation of Israel a means for, if you will, to save the world. Amen. By their example. But you know what was horrid? Israel, many times, were too worldly themselves to have the impact that God was wanting them to have on the rest of the Gentile nation. Yet that's the reason why he called them out. Remember, the book of Ephesians is all about the church. God was wanting to call him in the Old Testament a people out through Abraham. He wanted a church. Could I say it like that? A congregation in the wilderness in the Old Testament that by virtue of the church, the church would be a means and a tool by which the Gentiles would be saved. It's no different today. He has a church because by virtue of the church being present in here, he wants the outside world, other Gentiles, to come to know the Lord. But the problem, Sister Margaret, he had then, I find we have today, is that sometimes the Jews were more toward the world than they were toward God, and so they were ineffective. And as a church, we can get more toward the world than we are God, and we are not serving the purpose that God had initially planned for us, his people. Amen. Warren Wiersbe said it like this, and I thought I'd quote him because it was good. He said, when the church is least like the world, it does the most for the world. Now look at this. We may spend a little bit of time here in the next few moments. I'm going to erase some of this. We come to now the place, so they're, they're without all these things. That's who they were. That's where they were once at in their history. But now... But now, if I can read just a few of these verses again in your hearing this evening. In verse 13, uh, Ephesians 2, Sister McGee. But now in Christ Jesus. So he, told, he talked about their former state, the Gentiles in particular, their former state. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far, everybody say far, off, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. 
For he is our peace who hath made both one. And he says both one. He's speaking about Jew and Gentile. And hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments containing the ordinances, for to make in himself twain one new man, so making peace. Look at verse 16. That he might reconcile both. Both who? Jew and Gentile. And to God in one body. So it's not just a reconciliation between Jew and Gentile. It's a reconciliation then between that Gentile and God and that Jew and God. All right? Amen. Both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. Look at verse 17. And came and preached peace to you which were afar. Everybody say afar. Off. And to them that were nigh. I want to point out just a few things. I want you to consider the middle wall of partition that was broken down. All right? Middle wall partition that was broken down. I want you to equate with the Gentile. The Gentile is far. Everybody say the Gentile is far. The Jew is nigh. Everybody say the Jew is nigh. Here we go. Whenever it's making this expression about the middle wall of partition, in their day and time, and if you'll just give me a little time with my artistic ability here, but what we have right here is going to be a cross-section of Herod's temple, all right, in its most basic form. The, 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 the temple of Herod had several courts that led into the holy place and the holies of holies. With that being said, it started right here and there was, there was an incline. Then there was another plane and then there was an incline. These are steps right here. Then there was another one and an incline and another. Let's see if that's enough. Down here at the very outer court was the court of the Gentiles. And then there was some ascension. There's my steps. And this was the court of the women. More stairs. This was the court of Israel. You know what that is? Jews. This is the court of the priest. Right here is where there was the altar, the laver. And then there would be another place, and I'm running out of room. This would be the holy place. This was the HH, holies of holies. I'm a Gentile. As far as I can go is the court of the Gentiles. God's presence, His almighty power is at the HH, the holies of holies. But I am a Gentile. I'm without Christ. I was. I'm without hope. I'm without citizenship. I'm without God. I'm in the court of Gentiles. Folks, I don't know if you can see that, but that in comparison to where the presence of the almighty is, is kind of far. But if you were a Jew, the court of the Israelites, the Jews, right here, compared to those Gentiles, that Jew is nigh or near. All right? What he said was this. He said, whenever Jesus Christ came into the world and he died on the cross and blood was shed whenever all of this happened he said there's something that took place because see you got to understand here at the court of the Gentiles somewhere before these steps there were openings but somewhere before there there was a X number and I can't remember how many cubits there was an X number wall before you got to the next court that if that Gentile passed that wall there were signs even posted that if you pass this wall, you could very soon quickly be dead. They're going to kill you because you didn't belong outside of the court of the Gentiles. You weren't allowed to get any closer to his presence than that. And so there was a wall there. So whenever he said that whenever Jesus came into the world and he broke down the middle wall of partition, he is speaking about this wall right here that separated the Gentiles from the other courts. Whenever Jesus Christ came into the world, now something is happening. And the blood that was shed, 
there is the breaking down, if you will, of that wall of partition. The signs are broken down with it. Now this Gentile can continue on to and on up even into the court of the Jews. He who was far is made near or nigh by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul knew very well about what he was talking about when he was talking about that wall. You know how Paul knew so well what he was talking about? Because Paul, in Acts chapter 21, the Bible says that the people, the Jews, took him and imprisoned him. This would be Paul's last imprisonment. This would be the imprisonment that would eventually lead to his death. You know why he was imprisoned? Listen very closely. You can read it in Acts 21. Because they supposed, everybody say supposed. They supposed that Paul, somewhere along the line during his stay, had taken a Gentile, hear me now, had taken a Gentile on into the court beyond the court of the Gentiles. That was just a supposition. They didn't have no proof, but they supposed he did. And so Paul is in prison for the last time and eventually killed based upon a supposition. Now, we could preach and teach about that within itself, couldn't we? So he knew well what that wall was that he was talking about. But whenever Jesus Christ came and the blood was shed, he was saying there used to be made a difference between Gentile and Jew between their court and our court. But whenever he came to the world, that was done away with. All of that was dissolved. Look at the word reconcile, if you will, in verse number 14. That word reconcile means basically this, to bring together again. To bring together again. And what Paul is illustrating here in the scripture is that reconciliation takes place on two levels. Number one, an individual must be reconciled to God. But number two, a person must be reconciled to their fellow man. This absolutely follows up everything that the Lord has taught to his disciples. Because whenever they asked him which is the greatest commandment, he said, well, namely all the law and the prophets hinge on these two. Love the Lord thy God with all of thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. What he's talking about. You got to love God. You got to love your neighbor. You need a reconciliation with God. And you need a reconciliation with your neighbor. On both of those planes. Now, look at this again just for a moment. Remember Galatians 5 and 6. Sister McGee. For in Jesus Christ neither is circumcision the Jew or the Gentile. The Jew or Gentile. It doesn't avail nothing whether you're Jew or Gentile. But faith which worketh by what? Love. Faith which worketh by love. Because all the commandments are hinged upon the love factor of you loving God and loving what? Your neighbor. Uh-huh. Reconciliation with God and reconciliation then with your neighbor. Into one body, the Bible says, by, how does it happen? By the cross. Let me state it very plainly. Here's God. Jew and Gentile are at odds. They were. Stark differences. Didn't get along. These people and God were estranged. But whenever Jesus came, he bridged the gap. So now the Jew gets reconciled to God. And the Gentile gets reconciled to God. Uh-huh. And based upon the reconciliation to God, they can be reconciled to each other. In God. Mm-hmm. their differences could be eliminated whenever they got reconciled to God that's how there is one body because whenever we get Jew and Gentile baptized in one, by one spirit into this one body we have them reconciled to God but not just that they're brought back together with each other amen so they're brought back together with each other look and that, how's that happen by the cross he said can you put that back up sister McGee uh, uh, let's see here where is it? Seriously. 16. Ephesians 2.16. All these things happen. This reconciliation. This both unto God in one body by the cross. It happens by the cross. It already started happening before it completely happened. Because look. Jesus said in John 12.32. The cross had the means of bringing opposing people together. Jesus said, if I, if I be lifted up from the earth, we'll draw all 
men, Jew, Gentile, Roman, barbarian, draw all men unto me. And what was he talking about? Verse 33 says, this he said signifying what death he should die. In other words, he was talking about being put upon the cross. And the moment that he's put upon the cross, you know who's out there in the audience? Jews and Gentiles that would otherwise have nothing to do with each other. That a Jew said if he entered into a Gentile's home, he would be unclean. But all because of just the cross. We already see a melding together, even a little reconciliation that starts to happen at the foot of the cross because there's Jew and there's Gentile. The Bible even says that Herod and Pilate were enemies. Yeah. Herod and Pilate were at variance with one another. There was enmity between them. But the Bible says they were made friends because of the cross. Woohoo! People who were estranged and separated from each other because of the cross became friends because the cross and what happened on the cross is a tool of reconciliation. Not just for you to God, but for you with your neighbor. Look at the group that was gathered there, Acts 4.27. Here's some of the people. This is, uh, uh, this is the apostle speaking about during the time the lame man was healed, but he was speaking and he was addressing the people. He said, for a truth against the holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed. Look, he talks about these different people, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, and with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, which were the Jews, were gathered together. At the cross they were. All these variety of people there, right there at the cross, there they were. But here's the deal, folks. So we have the Gentile, we have the Jew. We have the one who is far, we have the one who is near according to human standards and human estimation. Listen, though. None, though, can be at the holies of holies. None can be with God, in God, around God without the blood. Although it would appear just by human standards, the Jew is closer than the Gentile. In reality, he's just equally as far as way without the blood. Uh-huh. The Bible said the blood made the Gentile nigh, but it did more than that for the Jew and Gentile. It gave them, this is a key word, it gave them access. Uh-huh. It gave them access. The... the the Old Testament rendering was this. The high priest once a year would go into the holies of holies on the day of atonement. The Bible tells us though in Hebrews 9 and 7, speaking of that time of the Old Testament, but into the second, speaking of the second veil, but into the second went the high priest alone once every year. Not, everybody say not, without blood. In other words, you didn't see a high priest in the holy place unless he had blood. And you'll never see a Gentile in the presence of the Lord or with God without the blood of Jesus Christ. You won't see a Jew. He doesn't get there by a different way than the Gentile does. Both Jew and Gentile, they can be as close as they want. But they'll not be in that most holy place without the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The blood grants the access. The blood does. That's the importance of Jesus Christ. I got a lot of scratching up here. Before, there were a lot of different separated, estranged groups and peoples. If we were to look at, just real quickly, anybody recognize these names? Anybody know who those are? The sons of Noah. Yep, Noah's up here. These are his sons. From these three boys right here, we virtually get the nations of the world. The nations of the world that were very much so separated and estranged from one another in Old Testament times. There were problems with the Assyrians, between the Ethiopians, between the Jews. There was a lot of bitterness. There was a lot of strife that took place. But reconciliation, everybody say reconciliation. Reconciliation happens in New Testament scripture for these different sects and tribes. Because through him right here in Acts chapter number 8, Acts 8, we read of a story of a man who is the Ethiopian eunuch. That Ethiopian eunuch sees his need after Philip preaching to him Jesus 
to be baptized in Jesus' name, receive the Holy Ghost, what happens to him? He gets in Christ. <laughs> Someone say amen. In Acts chapter number 9, we have Saul that we know as Paul, a Jew that comes through the line of Shem. In Acts 9, what happens to him? He's converted. He receives the Holy Ghost. He's baptized. He becomes in Christ. <laughs> Japheth over there, the Gentile group, Gentile nations flow from in Acts 10. Uh-huh. A man by the name of Cornelius of the Italian band, a Gentile in his household. Had Peter come to them and talk to them while Peter yet preached the words. Uh-huh. The Holy Ghost fell on them. They spoke in tongues, and some of the circumcision were there, Jews. And they knew they received the Holy Ghost because they had spoken tongues. And they were also baptized in Jesus' name. Guess what? In the Old Testament, man, there's wars, there's bickering, there's fighting all throughout these three. In the New Testament, though, when these people get reconciled to God, they get reconciled to each other. Amen. That's the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. Paul's, this, this was interests me in, in thinking of it. Paul's response to the question in Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost, what must we do to be saved? His response even transcended the time in which he lived. Because after he told them what to do, he continued with verse 39 saying that for the promise is unto you, to your children, and to all that are far. <laughs> because we start in the New Testament Scripture, salvation is unto the Jews. There's not a door or an opening yet to the Gentiles. Even the lady that comes with her daughter that's, that's, that's asking, you know, uh, for her to get some crumbs that fall on the master's table, she says, it's, it's not for the kingdom's sake that we give the meat to people like you. We say this for the Jewish people. But Peter, even before all of that, or yes, Peter, even before all of that opened up, by inspiration of the word of God, he's saying the promise is even for those that are far. God was speaking through Peter before it even happened because he already seen through the paradigm of time, amen, that he was going to open up the door, not just for a Jew, but for a good old rotten, without hope, without citizenship, without Christ, without God, Gentile. And that's us. We're sitting here today and our position was all of those withouts. But because the blood of Jesus Christ, it opened a door for you and I who were far to be made nigh and even have full access. What was it that happened on the day whenever Christ died on that cross? One of the things that's spoken of, you know, the darkness covered the land, there was a great earthquake. What else happened? The Bible says that the veil on the temple, Right? The veil in the temple rent in twain. That, 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 that veil that used to, that priest could only go to into the holies of holies. Now, man, that thing is rent. Why so? Because now because of Jesus Christ and the crucifix and the blood, everybody has access. Everybody. Amen. Some of the words in the scripture... We're talking about this reconciliation that undoubtedly brought, it brought peace. There's peace spoken of. Look whenever it speaks of Jesus Christ. They speak of him. There in the scripture as Paul speaks of him. There, there, there are three things. He said that Jesus Christ is peace. He said that Jesus Christ made peace. And he said that Jesus Christ preached Jesus Christ came, Jesus is peace. He made peace and he preached peace. Now, there have been over the period of time, history, people have tried to make peace with treaties, with documents, pieces of paper. And most of them have went belly up. Even in our own lives, I have found that some of the best ways when peace are made is whenever you have a third person or party 
that both of those that are at variance with one another love mutually. Someone hear me? If you can have someone that's mediating that both of those that are at odds with each other love mutually, then sometimes you can get peace made. Jesus is our peace because he made, or if you will, created peace and preached and propagated peace, and he was able to bring the two parties, if you will, the Jew and the Gentile, out of their mutual love for him that brought reconciliation or peace between each other because there was a third party involved, the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse number 18, Ephesians 2. He says, for through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. The term is Father. The term Father, not at all strange to a Jew. They, that term, God being seen in that term, no problem with that. Man, that had been all throughout their history. But for a Gentile, considering that, remember what his idea of a God was, which was called God's. He had a, the Gentile had a hard time considering a God as a father. Because for the most part, these other so-called gods that people served were painted always in the light of being harsh vengeful, just terrible tyrants, if you will. And so the Gentiles had a hard time relating to a God as a father. But whenever Jesus spoke and spoke of this great God to be a personal father to them, it was revealing what a God truly should be to his people, and that's someone that's benevolent, someone that is kind, someone that is approachable someone that will not turn away from the cry that they give Gentiles had a hard problem with that because the gods that they had served were just just mercy just just mean and, and ordinary but now the idea that Paul was given to them and this probably blew their mind the God that now you're under the umbrella of is going to be a father to you you realize how how much volume that spoke to them you're saying I'm under the, the servitude now of one that's going to care for me, one that I can approach, one that I can love. Now, let's consider this idea of the church, and I'll, I'll try to wrap up. I know it's holiday time. Come back Sunday, please. We will have church Sunday morning, Sunday night, if anybody's wondering. I'll be here, at least. Praise God. The ultimate purposes of the church, listen, was to supply a means whereby God could dwell even Old Testament time. He spoke and said that he does not dwell in houses that are made by the hands of men. So he saved us and he sanctified us to provide himself a house. Remember the Old Testament? Uh, get it for me, Exodus 25, 8. I know you have it. Whenever he spoke to them about that first tabernacle in the wilderness and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. This was the cry of the Old Testament. God is saying, hey, y'all, make me a sanctuary. Because I want to dwell among you. That cry has not changed. Amen. He still wants to dwell among us. Back then it was the old rude structure of the tabernacle. But now it's your life and my life and our lives together that comprise this thing called the body of Christ. The church, if you will. And so he still wants to dwell among us. But in order to dwell among us, he's got to dwell in us. Amen. And I begin to think about, because I want to, you know, it's important, I think, to tie lessons together as we go along. For those of you who have been here, some of you might have the slightest idea of what I'm talking about if you haven't been here. But to tie some of these things to, together, Bishop, it's no wonder then that, remember, the predestination has to do with purpose and plan, that the predestination for the church, according to Romans 8, 29, was to be conformed to the image of his son. Because we understand God was in Christ, his son and so he desires nothing less than for you and I he wants to be in his church his sons and daughters I'll close very quickly if you'll just stand with me I'm not going to try to go for a, a real hard close I don't want to frighten you 
So whereas that's where they were, but they had the but now in Christ Jesus thing, the nigher, the far off or made nigh, and both now. Notice in verse 17, he said that uh, peace was preached both to those that were far off and to those who were nigh, to the Jew and the Gentile. That peace was preached. But now all this has happened. He tells them you're no longer, you're no longer strangers, Gentiles. You're no longer strangers. You're no longer foreigners, but you're fellow citizens. You're part of the house of God. You're part of the family of God. You're part of the temple, if you will. And remember uh, uh, the building, it's speaking of in the book of Colossians, that Jesus Christ himself, and even here, Jesus Christ himself in verse 20, being the chief cornerstone. That was the foundation. The apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Just, just for information reasons, the chief cornerstone in the building in those days was a major stone. It was the first stone. It was the stone by which the walls that joined each other were lined up. It was the place of origin. All the building was based off that stone. The plumbness and trueness of the wall was according to the chief cornerstone. Anything that was in the building was per the cornerstone. But he also says our foundation is the apostles and the prophets. Why is that so? One of the reasons Second Peter told us, just for your reference, Second Peter 1.16, he told us that those apostles and prophets were the eyewitnesses of his majesty. They seen what he did. They heard what he taught. And uh, back at uh, our little... Uh, praise session outside whenever we had the outside service our community service that was outside i preached to you a mission about confirmed to us by them being that those things that was first spoken by jesus christ through his apostles and prophets they have been confirmed to you and i by them who heard him and those who heard him were the apostles and prophets and so whatever we see jesus taught then we see through the outworking of the rest of the book of acts and in the epistles what the apostles and prophets taught. And what they are teaching is what was taught to them. And their teacher was Jesus. And so we base the fundamental elements of the church on Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone, and the apostles and prophets because they are the first line, if you will, of people that Jesus taught and instructed. So what they teach, that's the reason why we're the first apostolic church. We teach what the apostles taught. And the apostles taught what their teacher taught them, and their teacher was Jesus Christ. Amen. And so we teach, and we found the church upon the same principles. And that's what Paul is going to do all throughout the book of Ephesians. Take the church back to their origin. Take the church back to its beginning. And let her see how she fares compared to where she was, where she is, and where he wants her to be. Let's pray this evening, near or far, you don't remember anything, remember Grover, and maybe all this will come back to you. All right, let's pray tonight. God, I come. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.